Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part six of his series, Tools of Prayer for America. Praise the Lord. This morning, we're going to continue our series on tools of prayer for America. And we'll be talking about fasting and prayer. Everybody's favorite subject, right? As a reminder, the whole reason I developed this series was because I had a prophetic dream on the 6th of July, 2018, while Trisha and I were visiting our daughter, Leisha, in New Orleans. And in response to that dream, I developed this series And I first preached it right here in this facility in the fall of 2018. And now for what should be obvious reasons, I feel led to preach it again. In the dream, the Lord asked me to do three things. Number one, issue a call to prayer for America. Number two, honor the prayers of our forefathers, especially those of President Abraham Lincoln. And number three... Issue tools of prayer that Christians can use to pray more powerfully and more effectively for our nation. Amen. By the way, if you want to hear more details about the dream, you can dial up our podcast at GoFaithLife.com or on your smartphone and listen to the very first episode. And I explain in a little bit more detail than what we're able to here today. But in the dream, I saw a looming darkness over a large group of American Christians, and they didn't seem to be aware at all of the thing that was coming. They had no idea of the danger that was looming. They were completely oblivious to it. So when I woke up from the dream, I had this intense urgency to pray for America. And that was two years ago. Can you imagine how I feel today? Hardly a day goes by that I don't pray for America every day, sometimes more than one time, sometimes two times, three times a day. Uh, As I'm listening to the news, I'll start hollering at the radio and then I'll begin praying (laughs) for America. Amen. Y'all know what I mean when you hear something on the radio and you say, no, it shall not be. America shall rise We shall see better days ahead. No more gloom and doom. I'm not listening to that. You know, usually it's followed by a click, you know, after I heard something I didn't like. And then I'll pray for America fervently. Amen. Thank God. This is going to sound funny. Thank God the darkness looming over America has gotten so dark and so stark that Christians are finally paying attention. But instead of responding with fear, we need to rise up as the church of America and push back the darkness. Amen. We need to pray that righteousness, truth, and justice, and life, and liberty reign in our nation. In every sphere of influence, in every city, in every state, in every territory, in every election, whether local, state, or national. Amen. You know, the congressional and presidential elections that we mentioned in prayer that are coming up this November, they're a tipping point for our nation. More so than any other election I can remember since I've been voting. You know, I've said this many times before, but 
It simply cannot be overemphasized. It cannot be overstated. Christians, it is your sacred duty to set aside whatever your politics may be and vote for righteousness, truth, justice, life, and liberty in America. If we pray that way and we vote that way, God will be able to implement His agenda for America. If we do not pray and we do not vote, we greatly hinder His ability to do so. So in the dream, the Lord gave me a giant toolbox. And in that toolbox, there were six tools of prayer that He wanted me to issue to American Christians. I know you're saying, who are you talking about American Christians? We're just... 30 people here at Faith Life Fellowship. Well, this is going out to America. This is going out all over the world. I'm talking to them too. Amen. So the six tools are these. Number one, binding and loosing. Matthew 16, 19. Number two, prayer of agreement. Matthew 18, 19. Number three, the name of Jesus. Acts 16, 18. Number four, the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 10, 19. Number five, fasting and prayer, Matthew 17, 21. And number six, spirit-led prayer, Ephesians 6, 18. As I've said many times before, you can use these tools to pray for yourselves, your family, your loved ones, your fellow saints, but we're primarily focusing at this critical time in our history on using these tools to pray for America. So far, we have talked about the prayer of binding and loosing, the prayer of agreement, the name of Jesus, and the blood of Jesus. This morning, we're going to talk about fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer, when coupled together, can be very effective in enhancing and empowering your prayer life. Now, we don't have time for an exhaustive study of fasting this morning, but I think I can cover enough today to set you on a right path that will encourage you to make fasting a part of your everyday life. The first thing I want to say about fasting is this, fasting helps you deal with unbelief in your heart. Let me say that again, fasting Helps you deal with unbelief in your heart. Turn with me to Matthew 17 in your Bibles or in your devices. Matthew 17, we're going to read 14 through 21, verse 14 through 21, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. A little bit of background, Jesus, Peter, James, and John had just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and this is what they see. Verse 14, and when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. 
Aren't you glad Jesus didn't coddle the disciples? Oh, faithless and perverse generation. He didn't go easy on them. Verse 18, and Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. Let me stop right there. Notice he did not say, because you need more faith. He said, because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Amen. Now, there's a few things I want to say about this passage that we will prove out as we go on. Number one, there is no special category of demon called a prayer and fasting demon. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Number two. If your flesh is not tamed, it will respond more to what it sees and what it feels than what the Word of God says. This is the essence of unbelief. Listen, the disciples had already been given authority by Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, over all demons. Matthew 10, 1, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. It says, and when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power. That word there is actually the word authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. So they already had all authority over all kinds of demons. He didn't caveat that impartation and that authority by saying, except for the fasting and prayer demon. They are different. He didn't say that. Number three, Jesus made it clear that the amount of faith was not the issue. But it was the presence of unbelief that was diluting their faith and making it ineffective. They couldn't get past what they saw with their eyes. No doubt this young man began to flop around, probably gnashing his teeth, growling and screaming, and probably foaming at the mouth. They just couldn't get past that. So the number one thing we can learn from this episode is this. Fasting helps to minimize the unbelief in your heart. Thus, it purifies your faith And makes it more effective. Jesus said. If you had faith. As a mustard seed. You would say to the mountain move. And it would move. A mustard seed. Is about half the size. Of the sesame seed. On your McDonald's hamburger. That's a pretty small seed. Jesus said you don't need a whole lot of faith. You just need pure faith. Amen. Imagine their faith was here and their unbelief was up here. 
Jesus was saying, rather than try to move your faith above the unbelief, dial down the unbelief below your faith so it doesn't hinder it and makes it a pure faith and more effective. Now, those of you listening by podcast, I used my hands for an illustration. I trust that the Holy Spirit will help you navigate that. Amen. Praise the Lord. Everybody see that. You don't need a whole lot of faith. You just need pure faith. Amen. And what Jesus was saying is that fasting will help you dial down your unbelief so your faith, even though it's small, is effective. Think about it. A mustard seed faith moves mountains. Can you imagine if you had great faith, what you could do? Move a planet? I mean, think about it. I think about such things. That's just the way my brain works. So right away, let's see how we can use these truths to apply fasting as a tool of prayer for America. We look at the state of our nation, the wickedness and the outright looniness of liberalism and secular humanism that seem to have successfully invaded every aspect of our society. And we wonder how in the world our country can ever recover. Isn't that right? It's everywhere. It's all around you. I have a saying, you know, there was a saying about power that goes like this. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. I have my own version concerning liberalism. Liberalism corrupts and absolute liberalism corrupts absolutely. It infects and corrupts everything it touches. Therefore, I hate it because I think it's of the devil. It's not just a political line of thought. It is of the devil. If we're not careful, we can be overwhelmed by what we see with our eyes and hear with our ears concerning the state of our nation. That's when fasting becomes significant Fasting becomes important so we can dial down the level of unbelief in our hearts and hear more clearly and pray more effectively for America. Trust me, when I say something like this, America's best days are ahead. I have to spend some time dialing down quite a bit of unbelief before I say such a thing. But I believe it with all of my heart. All right, let's move on. There is a right way and a wrong way to fast. Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 5. Turn with me in your Bibles or your devices to Isaiah 58, verse 1 through 5. I'll be reading in the New Living Translation. It's just awesome. Isaiah says this, Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud, don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. 
They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves. And you don't even notice. I will tell you why, I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourself with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? You know, the Lord is capable of sarcasm. And I like it. If you think that fasting somehow impresses God because you're going without eating, you're wasting your time. Some people think that if they fast long enough and endure enough misery, that they will somehow twist God's arm and more or less force Him to do something on their behalf. Again, if you're fasting with that mindset, you are wasting your time. Go get a hamburger and ask the Lord to show you what fasting is all about. Amen? You'd be better off doing that. Get some onion rings, too. All right, I'm going to say something, and this is profound, and you you need to get this. Fasting doesn't change God. Fasting changes you. I'll say it again. Fasting doesn't change God. Fasting changes you. You put the flesh down and let the spirit rise to ascendancy. That part of you that's just like God takes control and makes it easier for you to hear from God and to pray in faith. That's what fasting is all about. That's fasting in a nutshell. Jesus had some things to say about fasting, and he could get sarcastic too. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. I'll be reading in New King James Version. Jesus said, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Don't fast so others will see how pious, how religious, and how dedicated you are. Amen? Don't do it in a showy fashion. How willing you are to submit yourself to misery so that God will finally hear your prayers. Jesus said, if you fast with that motive or mindset, then the attention of others is all the reward you will ever get. You know, I haven't had a shower in three days. Haven't washed my hair in four days. Haven't shaved in five days. I'm fasting. 
What's that supposed to do? Impress people? Give me a break. That's the antithesis of what Jesus just said. Now, I know sometimes I've been on a fast and I've been kind of backed into a corner, asked to go out to eat. Would you please, pastor, come out to eat with us? Yes, I'll come. I I think I'll just have a Diet Coke or something. And then they just ask you, why are you not hungry? Do you not want to eat? And finally, you have to say, well, I'm fasting. That's not what Jesus is talking about. You're just letting people know what's going on so they don't think something's wrong with you, so they're not offended. But the other extreme is making a show of it. And Jesus said, if you do that, you are wasting your time. Like I said, go get a hamburger with some onion rings and ask God what fasting is really all about. All right, another issue. How long should we fast? Now, assuming everybody in here understands that the word fast means you go without eating, right? So how long should you go without eating? How long should we fast? Now, there are other kinds of fasts that you can employ, like a Bible fast. You don't read anything but the Bible for a week. You'd be amazed at what that could do to your mindset. You don't watch Fox News for a week. You don't watch CNN for a month, You'd be amazed what that can do for your brain. But I'm talking about food fasting here. How long should we fast? Well, this is what I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me. You should fast as long as you are led to fast at the direction of the Holy Spirit. You shouldn't fast because someone else did it for two weeks. You should fast as you're led by the Spirit of God. I don't believe that the results of your fast are necessarily tied to the length of time that you fast. I've got a big prayer need, so I really need to fast for a long, long time. I've got an even bigger one, so man, I'm really going to have to fast. I don't think there is that kind of equivalence in the Spirit. I think it's more important that you be obedient to the Holy Spirit. If you feel led to fast, get His direction before you do. Let me give you a couple of examples, one scriptural and one personal. All right, we're about to read from Judges chapter 20, verse 20 through 35. Judges chapter 20, verse 20 through 35. It's quite a lot of scripture, but you're going to enjoy it. And like I said before, just treat it like story time with Dr. Scott. It's a fabulous story from the scriptures, which really, really illustrates the point I want to make very well. So a little bit of background. This story takes place during the time of the judges, before the time of the kings. Judges ruled the land of Israel. And uh, there was this Levite and his concubine that were traveling through the land of Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. And they traveled into the city of Gibeah. Gibeah was like the capital city of the Benjamites. And they were going to sleep out in the public square, but somebody came by that was knowledgeable and said, it's really not good for you to sleep out here. You find out why later. Why don't you come stay with me in my house? So the man, this Levite, who is a man of God, who's traveling with his concubine and a servant, they lodge with this man. Well, in the night, the men of Benjamin come to the man's house and say, give us the man 
that you have as your guest because we want to have our way with him. Long story short, they end up putting the concubine out instead of the Levite. And they raped and murdered the concubine, and the Levite finds her body on his doorstep the next morning. And he's so enraged by it, he sends a message to all 11 tribes, all the other 11 tribes of Israel, and tells them what a heinous crime the men of Benjamin have done to him and his concubine. And so all of Israel rises up, and they bring an army to bear on the city of Gibeah. So that's where we enter the story, here at verse 20. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin. And the men of Israel put themselves in battle array to fight against them at Gibeah. Then the children of Benjamin came out of Gibeah, and on that day cut down to the ground 22,000 men of the Israelites. So not a good day for the Israelite army. They lost 22,000 men in a single day. Can you imagine the scale of this warfare? And they went at the behest of the man of God. The man of God said, go, because we've got to exact God's justice on the city of Gibeah for what they did in allowing this heinous crime to be committed. So they're going at the will of the Lord. They're doing this at the will of the Lord. It's not like they were defeated because they were out of the will of God. Verse 22. And the people, that is the men of Israel, encouraged themselves and again formed the battle line at the place where they had put themselves in array on the first day. So they went out again. Then the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening and asked counsel of the Lord, saying, Shall I again draw near for battle against the children of my brother Benjamin? So this time, they bypass the Levite, and they go to the Lord directly and say, Lord, is this really you? Should we go up and attack again? And the Lord says, Yes, go up. Go up against them. Verse 24. So the children of Israel approached the children of Benjamin on the second day. And Benjamin went out against them from Gibeah on the second day and cut down to the ground 18,000 more of the children of Israel. All these drew the sword. Wow. You go in, the will of God is on your side, and you still have lost 40,000 men in two days of fighting. Verse 26. Then all the children of Israel, that is, all the people, went up and came to the house of God and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening. That's a foot stomper. They fasted till evening that day. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord. The ark of the covenant of God was there in those days, and Phinehas the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the grandson of Aaron, Moses' brother, stood before it in those days, saying, Shall I yet again go out to battle against the children of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? In other words, should we quit while we're ahead? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into your hand. 
Verse 29. Then Israel set men in ambush all around Gibeah. This time they received a battle plan from the Lord. I believe this came from the Spirit of the Lord. This time we're going to do things different. Instead of just doing a frontal assault on the city of Gibeah, we're going to let men sneak up and surround the city of Gibeah. And they're going to lie in wait. And then we're going to approach like we did before. We're going to draw the men out of the city. And as the men come out of the city to engage one force, the other force will sack and burn and destroy Gibeah. That was their plan. Amen. And the children of Israel went up against the children of Benjamin on the third day and put themselves in battle array against Gibeah as at other times. So the children of Benjamin went out against the people and were drawn away from the city. They began to strike down and kill some of the people as at the other times in the highways, one of which goes up to Bethel, the other goes to Gibeah, and, and in the field about 30 men of Israel. And the children of Benjamin said, They are defeated before us as at first. But the children of Israel said, Let us flee and draw them away from the city to the highways. So all the men of Israel rose from their place and put themselves in battle array at Baal Tamar. Then Israel's men in ambush burst forth from their position in the plain of Geba. And 10,000 select men from all Israel came against Gibeah, and the battle was fierce. But the Benjamites did not know that disaster was upon them. The Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel, and the children of Israel destroyed that day 25,100 Benjamites. All these drew the sword. Now, that was a lot of scripture, and for me, it was a lot of fun. But I believe it was worth it. Listen to me. Three times the Israelites attacked the Benjamite city of Gibeah. The first two times, they were slaughtered, absolutely devastated. 22,000 men the first day, 18,000 men the second day. But the third day, they attacked and they achieved a spectacular victory. Listen, they defeated the Benjamite army and sacked and destroyed the city of Gibeah. What made the difference? One day of fasting. Just one day of fasting turned the tide of the battle for them. So it's not necessarily the, the great need that is before you that dictates that you need to fast for a long, long time. They didn't have a whole lot of time, but they fasted the one day that they had to fast, and God gave them a plan for victory, and they totally destroyed the Benjamite city of Gibeah. I think I've read the whole story. I think there was only 600 men in the whole tribe of Benjamin left over after they finished with them. In fact, it was so bad they felt sorry for them and they made some arrangements to bring wives to these soldiers because they were like the only ones left. And if they didn't bring them wives, the tribe of Benjamin would be wiped out. That's how complete the victory was against the Benjamites. One day of fasting. Amen. Amen. So as I said, what made the difference? The one day of fasting. Before the third attack, they fasted for just one day. Listen, 
Fasting can help you do what you were unable to do before. Fasting can give you a plan for victory that you hadn't thought of before. Because fasting allows you to hear more clearly from the Lord and pray and act in faith. Bottom line, when it comes to the length of your fast, don't be arbitrary. If you already feel led of the Lord to fast, just consult Him. Okay, Lord, what kind of fast and how long? Even if it's just fasting one meal a day, or some people fast an entire day of the week, it can be a very powerful way to purify your faith and get results that you hadn't gotten before. I'll share a personal story. In the summer of 1987, Trisha and I were stationed at Naval Air Station Corpus Christi. It was my last assignment with the Marine Corps. I was a flight instructor there for the Naval Air Training Command. And we were coming to the end of our time in the Marines. And I'm looking forward and I have no idea where I'm supposed to go or what I'm supposed to do. So that summer of 1987, I determined that I would spend the entire summer fasting. And I felt led of the Lord to fast just one meal a day for the whole summer. Until I heard from the Lord. So I worked at the headquarters building on base. We lived on base. It was about five minute drive to get from the headquarters over to the house. And so every day after I initiated this fast, I would come home at lunch. I would kiss my wife. She would fix her lunch. And I would go back to the back bedroom. And I would fast. And I would pray for 30, 45 minutes, an hour a day. Usually in tongues. And I did this day after day after day after day, even on weekends, for about six weeks. At the six-week mark, I heard from heaven. I had a visitation. And the Lord spoke to me in a very powerful way. It take too long to explain. But he gave me a three-part plan that I was to use to pursue the future that God had for me. And I want you to know that that six weeks of fasting, just one meal a day, and that one moment spent in the presence of the Lord at that time when I heard from Him, it changed the course of my life for the next 22 years. Just six weeks, one meal a day. Covered me for 22 years. Amazing. So there is no equivalence in the time that you fast, in the way that you fast, in the results that you get, just be led by the Holy Spirit. It's more important to be obedient to Him than to stack your resume with two or three weeks of fasting. By the way, in case you're wondering, the longest I have ever fasted personally is four days. Four days without anything to eat. Man, I saw visions too. I saw cheeseburgers. I saw pizza. I saw onion rings. That's an old joke, but a good one. All right. Listen, I was seeking direction at a key juncture in my life, and I simply had to hear from the Lord. So I would encourage you, if you're looking for specifics, not just general guidance in your life, consider spending some time praying and fasting so that you can hear more clearly from the Lord. Amen? Amen. All right. 
All right, I, I hear about people who go on these 40-day fasts, and although few of them, to my knowledge, actually go without all food for 40 days, but, but I wonder, were they led of the Lord to fast for that long? I believe Jesus would have to appear to me personally and tell me to do something like that. Yes, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, they all fasted for 40 days, but if you study it out, they were supernaturally prepared to do so. Okay, so don't get overzealous and jump into a lengthy fast because you think you're going to get more results and negatively impact your health. Don't do that. Holy Spirit does not want you to do that. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Follow his lead because the length of time is not the issue. Obedience is the issue. Amen. All right. So in conclusion. Remember, although fasting and prayer can produce powerful results in your personal lives, I'm asking everyone here to consider fasting in some manner over the weeks leading up to this election. It is that important. We need to pray and fast for America. We hope you enjoyed part six of Dr. Forrest's series, Tools of Prayer for America. If you are blessed by this message and would like to donate to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at GoFaithLife.com. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at GoFaithLife.com Also, visit and like our Facebook page at FaithLife Wilmington.